Welcome to Happy Hour, a podcast for amplifying AAPI creative voices. I'm Melissa Cho, and in this episode of Happy Hour, I talk to Wenny Chow, the 22-year-old Taiwanese-Canadian who recently launched an exclusive dinner club called Saloon 301. As a fresh USC graduate fascinated by the creative intersection between business and art, Wenny hopes to apply her marketing and branding skills to curate well-rounded experiences for people. She queer-eyed her college apartment into Saloon 301 and officially opened shop at the start of last month. By the end of the night, all 15 people sat around that couch with chairs and like stuff, their wine in hand, and we were just chatting and chatting and catching up with each other and like getting to know everyone. It was amazing because we didn't even realize it was one. Before you hear my full chat with Wenny, I invite you to grab a drink of your choice and let's spend happy hour together. Happy 4th of July, happy hour friends. Today is obviously a special day, and I hope you get to spend quality time with your friends and family. And this episode fits today's theme quite well. My guest today is Wenny Chow, the 22-year-old Taiwanese-Canadian and recent USC business graduate who just started Saloon 301, an exclusive dinner club that seeks to celebrate food and people. During the pandemic, Wenny had the initial thought of running a small takeout business where she would cook for her friends. But as she metaphorically fed into this idea of making food for others, the concept expanded into Saloon 301. Although she's currently running her newly minted restaurant in her small college apartment, with her passion towards curating memorable experiences, she's been able to transform her own living space into an energizing dinner club where guests wine and dine, try out new cuisines, and often stay past midnight. Wenny's first themed menu was Taste of Taiwan, featuring classic Taiwanese dishes such as popcorn chicken, braised pork belly rice, and tea leaf eggs. And she even adds her own twists to some recipes, such as tiramisu, but topped with boba and laced with earl grey, brown sugar, and mascarpone. Her most recent dinner was Midsummer Night themed, and she transported her guests into the perfect Eurocentric summertime picnic ambiance with recipes such as lavender blackberry brigalette, summer asparagus, rosemary chicken, Irish mashed potatoes, and fresh berry chantilly cake. Wenny cooks everything herself from scratch, such as the pie crust, cake mix, pesto, vegetable stock, or anything pre-made that could be store-bought. But someone who loves cooking and is inspired by intimate, family-owned restaurants in Italy, she wishes to establish recipes that preserve the integrity of the ingredients. It brings me great joy knowing that, at Saloon, not only are the original ingredients preserved and honored, but so are the new relationships you establish there. Welcome to Happy Hour, Wendy. Thanks so much for joining me today. I remember when you posted that you were running this exclusive dinner club. I was like, oh, I hopped on this opportunity. I was like, I have to get Wendy on the show. I know that the last time we hung out was, I think it was 2019. We had we yeah. had lunch at USC. <laughs> yeah, I, I remember you like came up for your MVC um, interview. And I was so nervous. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, thank you so much for having me. It's so exciting to see that your podcast is taking off and like to be a part of it is is super fun and exciting too. 
So for those who don't know Wenny, uh, you're very passionate about branding and marketing. And when I knew you in high school, I've always known you to be super into like fashion and dance. You were already a very creative person very early on. And I'm really interested in how you decided that you were able to aid your creative talents into the corporate world. What made you make that decision? Yeah, of course. So I think, like you said, I've always been just like super passionate about the arts. Like in high school, I was all about dance and I really cared about fashion. And actually, I I worked a little bit in fashion as well. But I think for me, I really love just like cultivating experiences and bringing people together. And I love that feeling of like, especially when you walk into a store or you go somewhere and you're just like, mesmerized and like breathtaking and that was kind of where I wanted to go I really wanted to find like an intersection between business and art and see where I can do something that I'm passionate about along the lines of that and so I think marketing and branding was somewhere that um it's just such a great you know industry or even just like an expertise to pursue because it really allows you that room for creativity but also goes back towards business and like um, applies to corporate. And so I've tried really hard, I think, in my college years to, you know, take my interest in fashion and dance or even in cooking and just like bringing te- um, and throwing parties and bringing people together um, in a very like meaningful and fun way that is just great for everyone. And that's kind of how I went from working in fashion and then um, branching in towards like marketing consulting and now starting my own like dinner club this summer. So you grew up in, did you grow up in Canada as well? I don't, I don't think I know this about you. Yeah. So I grew up in Taiwan. So I was born and raised in Taiwan. And then Mm -hmm. in third grade, I moved to Canada, Vancouver. Um, and so I basically grew up, I think like most of my adolescence where I'm like conscious of um it was more so in Vancouver and then so I was there for seven years until the end of middle school and then I transferred back to Taiwan to Taipei American School where I met you Mm, yeah because I I never I never asked you about your your life in Canada how would you recap it for those seven years I definitely think it was very adventurous I'd say because you know like moving in to a new country and it's like completely like North America. It was very, very different from like, like I was like a local Taiwanese girl (laughs) Mm -hmm. and like I, I spoke English, but I obviously didn't speak it fluently. Um, And so definitely I'd say like the first few years were kind of rough and just like trying to understand different culture and different people. Um, That was like definitely hard, but I I'd say adventurous because throughout seven years I tried so many new things like just like going to different schools and like meeting people who didn't come from the same background as me or um you know like we would always I don't know like seeing snow for the first time too and going to the states and even like traveling the summer and blueberry picking and I have so many of like these really fond memories um I think has really added a layer to who I am today and has really shaped me to be like a very multi, I guess, like faceted person. Mm. You moved schools a couple of times. I remember when I when I had to transfer to to Taipei American School starting my junior year. I was it was because of my dad's job, 
And I was like really mad at him. I was like, Dad, I only have just two more years left at this school because the school that I was at in Shanghai, I was there from second grade. And I was so close. I was so close to graduating and I had my friends and everything. And so when he said, oh, we're, we're moving back to Taipei because of this new job that he got. And so I was not happy. But I'm really glad that that change happened because, you know, obviously I met you, for example. Um, I think we took Spanish together, right? We took Spanish together. And then I was able to you know, be involved within the creative community at our high school, which was pretty much non-existent in my previous school. So I'm really glad that uh-huh. that change happened. So, you know, and throughout college, you also transferred <laughs> colleges yeah. as well. So I'm trying to do this linearly. Um, why did you decide to transfer to USC? Because you were in, you were at the University of Michigan. How did, why did you decide to, you know, go across the country and transfer to another school? Yeah, um, I, I guess I'm going to be honest, but I really hope no one comes for me. But I, I loved UMich. Like, it was wonderful. Uh, my freshman experience was so fun. Like, it was honestly out of this world. And to be honest, I was so happy at UMich um, in the sense of, like, socially. It was just such a fun school. But I really felt like my creativity was hindered there. Um, like, UMich is a college town, and, like, we're in the middle of Ann Arbor, which... To be completely honest with you, there just wasn't a lot going on other than like an abundance of frat parties and football and like obviously lovely school. And I found people who did wonderful, wonderful things there too. I'm not saying that there's no creativity there, but it just felt more so that the things that I wanted to pursue, like for example, marketing or even fashion, um, it felt kind of stipend there in terms of those interests. And when we think fashion or even just like the hub for marketing and branding, it's more so New York or even Los Angeles. And um, that was kind of how I made that decision. Like, okay, um, it's really fun here and I could party four years away or I could party and also like develop myself emotionally and in touch um, and professionally and like do something that I want in a different city um and I think another factor was like Michigan was just so cold like (laughs) you I I lived in Vancouver before it was like it snowed and it was like piece of cake whereas like in Michigan it'd be like negative 30 degrees Celsius um in the winter and it's just like at that point it is it's unbearably cold um for for (laughs) such a tropical girl um growing up in Taiwan you know it's always super super hot so that was kind of why I was like I was constantly sick and I, I was just super like I'd say like super sad because of the weather and so I was mm. like you know what it's it's time to like switch it up yeah I was about to ask a lot of people get seasonal affective disorder I for my sister she went to a, a small private school in Washington state and it was in the middle of the woods so when it snowed the entire campus it felt like Narnia I mean it looks beautiful but then a lot there were a lot of students uh, that go to that school that are from Hawaii and there's like a lot of Hawaii kids who get really depressed over the winter mm. so for anyone listening kids if you want to apply to a school be sure that you like yeah. the weather I guess I was just trying to say that like you know in high school especially in Taiwan we weren't able to like actually fully understand the U.S. at, at least for me because I was Canadian and for me it was like okay it's 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 gonna be cold um weather is so insignificant insignificant I guess and I'm like I can I can layer up whatever but it wasn't until I went there and it started snowing like end of October and it would sometimes still hail in the middle of May um (laughs) 
like we we got like three four hours of sunlight like gloomy sunlight if we were lucky and I I really was depressed sometimes like I would just lay in bed and be like wow I have no motivation to do like anything like I don't want to go to my classes I don't want to see anyone and I was like why am I feeling this way like maybe I should start thinking about other cities so that was kind of also like a big factor um Mm. yeah yeah so definitely the move to LA was a great decision for you because you've done a lot within that school uh, when you transferred and you said that you were super into cooking super into food and I always feel like when every time I see your Instagram stories I feel like you'd be a really great food blogger you could still do it you could still do it the opportunity's still out there but yes, the main reason I invited you on the show is because I, you recently started a passion project called Saloon 301. Tell us what Saloon 301 is. Yeah, of course. So Saloon 301 really is just a dinner club that I started because I realized that I really like to cook. Um, cooking is something that I've always done ever since I was like in elementary school I would always always cook and like obviously I wasn't really good back in like middle school but it always brought me a sense of calmness and I was always very able to focus on the presence and focus on the food that I'm cooking and so I would always cook even throughout finals week even like throughout the most stressful times of my life because that's like a chunk of time where I can like block out and just like cook for myself and you know like really nourish myself and make sure that hey like I'm taking care of myself when I'm feeding myself really great food. And I think I've always really liked food. Um, like you said, I, <laughs> I eat out quite a lot. Um, I'm always like on the hunt for really good restaurants and bars. And it's definitely something that's like just super interesting for me. And so that's kind of why I created Saloon because I think in LA, so many, um, like just often, students are going out and there's like an abundance of restaurants everywhere right and they're so fun but sometimes we just want a space that's like cozy and quiet and intimate where we can just sit um for three four hours it doesn't matter and just like drink wine eat great food and like chat and hang out with friends um usually when you go out to LA restaurants like I don't think there's this is like the luxury that you can get you probably there's usually like a time limit to restaurants or like it's really busy it's really loud and I've always really liked how especially in Taiwan like I was able to go to a lot of like private restaurants like private chef owned restaurants or even like speakeasies and I thought it was just amazing because it, it was just like it felt so special that like if you know you know kind of thing and that's really why I just wanted to bring people together, um, drink amazing wine, and eat some terrific food. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds like a really great ambiance. There's a uh, there's a pet peeve that my mom and I have about restaurants is, uh, and these happened for a lot of restaurants in Taipei as well. Literally, you walk into a restaurant, and before you say anything, before you do anything, a waiter or a waitress comes, they're like, okay, so our time cap is 90 minutes. I was like, you just literally broke yeah. off this this connection that we were gonna have. So I think it's really great that there is no time limit for this restaurant. You could talk for three to four hours, and and you said that LA has just a ton of amazing restaurants and Taipei as well. Um, just abundance of a lot of good food, a lot of great cuisine. Were, were there particular restaurants or cafes within these two cities that inspired your business? I don't think the inspiration was is necessarily from any of these 
like restaurants of any of these two cities um obviously I think like every restaurant I go to and just like the restaurant scene in Taiwan and LA has impacted me so much but every time I think about the vision for Saloon I think about this little osteria in New York and it's like I think it's like Upper West Side and it's this small tiny tiny family owned like Italian little osteria and it's it's so good like you walk in and everyone is just happy they're eating they're drinking wine and it's such a low-key place and it's so cozy because you can be there for hours and people chat with each other and like at the end of the night we kind of like just end up drinking with the other tables too or even just like like I really love Italian restaurants too in Italy I think just the ambiance of like very family-owned very intimate and like very intentional more so like quality and not scale and I, I think there's nothing wrong with restaurants going scale and I and I think there's there's so many restaurants that do scale and do amazing in terms of their quality but it kind of loses that it loses that intimate and like if you know again like that hidden gem like if you know you know kind of like vibe and when everyone is flock especially in um like such a digital age when everyone is flocking to the same places because they're seeing it on Instagram they're seeing it on Yelp and all of that um sometimes like it's more about just going there to try things and so i think the inspiration really was to keep it very small and it doesn't mean that we're so exclusive that we only serve the same amount of the same people every time we've actually had different people different parties come in we've even had people not from USC or like people who even just drove drove up like an hour just to eat at our place and it's really just about you know the experience of coming together with your friends and potentially meeting other really cool people and There's no time cap. I'm not going to say, "Hey, it's 9:30. After two hours you have to leave." And I love it when people come into the kitchen and be like, "How do you make this?" Like, I'd love to share and just like cook with them too. So far, when's the latest that these events have ended because the later they end, that means the later you have to leave, <laughs> right? Yeah. So the latest I'd say was like 1 a.m. um And we start our dinner service at 7 p.m. So it definitely was like like multiple hours um which which was super fun because that night um it was a bunch of people who didn't know each other and at first they dined and they wined with their guest and they like chatted among their own table and by the end of the night we all sat onto the couch um because I'm doing this in my apartment I've transformed my apartment into like this little restaurant setting And so there's still like a coffee table, like couch lounging area. But by the end of the night, all 15 people sat around that couch with chairs and like stuff um and like their wine in hand and we were just chatting and chatting and catching up with each other and like getting to know everyone and then it was amazing because we didn't even realize it was one and It was just nice to get to know people. Um I always say like saloon isn't just about food. It's also about the people. It's also about meeting people, creating experiences with people and bonding with people through food. You know, like food is more so just like a catalyst. Mm. I was about to ask where your dinner club was located. So is your apartment number 301? Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. So now you all partially know when, where Wenny's address is. Do you cook everything yourself? 
Yeah, I cook everything myself. Um, and I think, you know, I know sometimes it's inefficient because I can buy pie crust, like frozen pie crust, super easily for very inexpensive, like, cost. Or I can, like, go buy cake mix and, like, make my cakes that way. Um, it's like a box of cake mix is, like, $2, right? And, like, it saves me so much time. But but I don't. The reason being is because, again, cooking is a very almost like therapeutic process for me. I really enjoy putting in the effort to create everything. And I think like Saloon is a place that's intentional. Like everything you see, the pesto sauce, the, the cake sponges, the pie crust, and all of these things that I mentioned, or even the chicken stock I make myself, or vegetable stock. Like I make everything from scratch because I think... I really want to preserve the integrity of these ingredients. I use really great ingredients, very fresh. And even though it's so much more convenient just to just like buy pre-made stuff and kind of like put it together, you know, I think people are paying because they believe in us and they believe in the quality of the food. And I would feel so bad um, if I was just buying like pre-made stuff. But obviously like there's still things that I have to like make myself. Like, I'm not harvesting my own like la um, lavender for lavender honey, but you know, I think I try to do everything myself to as much as I can. And it's it's like cooking for friends. It's cooking for people that I care about. And I wouldn't want anything for them other than the best. So how long on average would it take for you to make all these dishes? And how many servings do you usually have to serve? So I usually make just enough for our guest list. Um, our guest list is usually set a week prior to the actual dinners. We will usually make a little bit extra because people tend to really like some of the dishes and they do order extra. But per dinner, we'd usually take like at least two days up to three days because the day before, even our last Taiwanese menu, so much of the food had to be made beforehand. Like curing the tea eggs because I love tea eggs but I also love soft boiled eggs that's kind of jammy and I, I feel like the one thing I really dislike about tea eggs in Taiwan is because it's always often overcooked and so I really then had to like soak the eggs instead of like hard boiling them and um, like boiling the tea flavor into the eggs and so that alone was a two-day process right like we have to make the eggs and we have to make the tea solution and then we have to like let that marinate and soak in the fridge for like at least two days before the marbling developed, before the flavor went into the egg. Um, and usually the day of we make things that needs to be made more fresh. Like for example, our last menu too, the mushroom, we usually made like an hour before people came so that it's hot and fresh and juicy when you have your appetizer. So that's like another day of prep. Um, and usually per day, I'm meeting like five to six hours. So it's like definitely a full day. And then because people often stay super, super late and we're just so tired um, by the end of the night, we usually clean up the next day. And like my kitchen is very small. And when I'm operating, like serving 15 people, my dishwasher does not fit. So we would have to like load the dishwasher as much as we can and then hand wash the rest especially with like really delicate glassware. Um, all of that is hand washed and it definitely takes time too. So I'd say like on average two and a half days to three days, depending on what the menu is and how many people came and just like how many plates like we used throughout the night. Mm. 
What were some of the costs that fed into running, starting this business? What are some extra expenses that you have to shell out to start Saloon 301? Yeah, we definitely had to buy a bunch. So when we first started, I dropped close to 2K just to even start this. Because beforehand, I had like two plates, two bowls, two forks. It'll be very exclusive. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I like, cause, cause I live alone. Um, like I have housemates, but like we all have our own stuff. So like I just had enough for myself. And so, you know, like when you go from two everything to like 18 sets of everything, 18 sets of small plates, large plates, bowls, glassware, every single thing, like that alone was like, and I also had to invest in a lot of nice pots and pans because I was always hesitant to buy things because like I feel like as college students we're always like oh I'm only gonna be here for a little bit like I don't want to buy really nice things so I had to buy like a whole set of that and then we also bought a lot of like we bought string lights and like decorations to kind of elevate our apartment just because like at the end of the day this is student like housing um it's not super super luxurious or decked out in any way we definitely like cut down as much as we could have and just like ingredients too um because I was cooking Asian food especially like Taiwanese food I needed so many spices that I don't usually use and like just going there and buying all these spices and soy sauce and like sesame oil and all of that um perishables too like you know like food and all of that and just and so just a lot of like appliances which to be honest like it's not a huge investment just because I can still use them myself like I could definitely benefit from a few more plates um plates and bowls so it it wasn't too bad I think we we actually broke even after the end of our first menu um oh wow yeah that's awesome Um, yeah, it, it was kind of crazy because we also bought a lot of alcohol. We usually have a very well-developed wine list and wine is just a lot to buy for every bottle. So like I have three sets of alcoholics sitting right beside me and I don't know. Um, we got really great responses though. So I, I don't think dropping 2K was not worth it at all. Like we made it back and it seemed... It was so fun, and I, I really think it was an awesome thing to do. So, You bring up the word we. How, how big is your team? My team is very small. Um, my team is three people, and I, I don't really want to say like we have positions because it really is a team effort, and we do every single thing. Like It's not like, it's not like I'm the chef, so I don't serve, or... I don't like wait tables or I don't do the dishes. Like we do everything. But my sous chef is a friend that I met through USC. Um, we're both in AKSI together. Her name is Jessica. And she's super lovely because she also really enjoys cooking. And my waiter <laughs> um, is Andrew, my, my younger brother. He recently just moved to LA and he's living in my apartment. So I was like, hey, like, do you want to help me out? I think this would be cool. So. Oh, this is this is literally family run. This is so sweet. <laughs> yeah, it's it's very, very small. Um, and that's why like it takes so long to prep because we only have like so many pairs of hands. And my Susha, I feel like she lives quite far away from me too. So she usually has 
like only a little bit of time whenever she comes, like a set amount of time. And so we're really trying to help each other out. Like we we are doing everything. We are plating, we are getting people, we are pouring drinks, we are like, trying to cook everything at the same time and like trying to make sure that everyone's happy. So hmm. I wanna read the the tasting menu. For your taste of Taiwan themed menu. Sure. So for this tasting menu, you have Prosecco, which is apple, white peach, and honeysuckle. You also have three cup mushroom, popcorn chicken, braised pork belly rice, tea leaf egg, and boba tiramisu. How did you curate this menu? What's your thought process when it comes to picking what you should put onto your tasting menu? Yeah, I think it's a lot of brainstorming, but ultimately I created Saloon because I want to cook, right? Like I find it so fun cooking. And kind of the the reason, another reason why I created Saloon was really because like, I think I would never like explore a lot of recipes because I like, if I'm just cooking for myself, I would be like, oh my God, I'm not going to take two days just to cook for myself. Um and so I, I make something really easy. And there's just so many recipes out there that I really want to try, especially like Taiwanese food. I've actually never cooked Taiwanese food before, before this. Um, and so another reason creating Saloon was more so for me to explore new recipes and better understand food and just like understand like culinary um, arts in general, because I was like, I really want to step my cooking skills up. I really want to start making like really cool dishes and things that I want to make that might be more tedious. And like, it's, it's hard um, when there's only so many people. And that's kind of why the thought process of like, okay, let's invite everyone over and, and let's cook for them because then I'm so willing to cook and I'm so happy to cook because I would never bake an entire cake for myself just to eat one slice. And going back to your question of like how I cultivate these menus it really depends on like what I want to cook what I want to explore and for the taste of Taiwan I really really wanted to bring some of my favorite Taiwanese staple food to LA just because like there's only so many Taiwanese restaurants within LA definitely not close to USC and so a lot of my friends actually never fully had like yen suji or even lu rou fan before coming and they were like really curious like oh what is three cup mushroom I obviously I love Laurel Fan and Yin Suji and I love Boba, but I really wanted to spice it up and like even the tea leaf egg. I kind of talked about it before. It was like, I love this concept, but how do I make it better? How do I add twist to it? And the boba tiramisu was kind of like that. I, I love boba, I love tiramisu, and I was like, why don't I just compare like you see matcha tiramisu, right? So why not boba tiramisu? And three cup mushroom. I, I know it's like not super popular in Taiwan, but we, we do three cup everything. And I really love the flavor and like the smokiness and the sweetness of the three cup, every like three cup chicken, three cup tofu. And that's kind of why I was like, I think mushroom would be really great with glass noodles. So what was your opening night like? Take us through how that whirlwind of a process, how that was like. It, when did you start this actually? Yeah. When was that? I started the beginning of this month. So actually it was like a super, super spontaneous decision and not going to lie. I, I definitely think I jumped the gun here. Um, just because 
when I was thinking, okay, what am I going to do this summer? And I was like, oh, what if I cook and explore recipes and like have friends pre-order the things that I'm going to make and like have them do takeout, like, you know, like takeout style. Because I think there's a lot of like self-starting chef now in LA, especially throughout COVID. And it kind of went from like, okay, takeout, takeout. And then like, okay, what if, what if I do dinner parties to like, oh, what if I do a dinner club? Right. And I, I believe it was like, the Thursday before I decided to do this. And then Friday, I went to Ikea and bought everything. And then Saturday, Sunday, I started developing the recipes and starting like, started exploring with them and making them and trial, like trial run one, two, three, um, cooked, cooked, cooked. And then Tuesday was our, <laughs> was our opening. So I really only had five days to put everything together. So fast. <laughs> yeah. And it was especially daunting because... I grew up eating very authentic Taiwanese food, right? Like being in Taiwan, you know, there's no shortage of like great yen suji, lu rou fan, boba. Like the thing is like, I've never made any of these things before. And I've always really wanted to learn. Like it's part of my culture. It's a part of my identity. But then the reason why I never cooked these before was because these are so accessible to us in Taiwan. Like if I wanted fried chicken, I walked down like downstairs and get it from the food stall downstairs if I want boba like I go to the nearest boba shop which is like only three minutes away and so I would never make any of this thing my these dishes like myself like in Taiwan and so it definitely was hard um trying to recreate them and trying to bring that authentic flavor to them and I remember I was on YouTube, I was like googling in Chinese like trying to find the most local like the most like true um true to tradition recipes and I tested so much I like I think I I made like at least <laughs> like seven different batches of chicken and like tiramisu tiramisu was like decently easy I think I nailed that within like three tries um and then like the braised pork rice I like called my mom at like two in the morning and I was like hey <laughs> so what's your secret recipe for that and then I kind of like combined her recipe with what I found online yeah it was it was crazy and I was so anxious so come Tuesday on my opening night I've been prepping non-stop since 9 30 in the morning that day I I did not eat at all that day because I was just like constantly one thing after the next and then people start coming in at seven and I was like oh my god holy shit like I don't want to disappoint them but everything just went as planned everybody had so much fun every time we served anything people would take a bite and like their eyes like I would watch them and their eyes would just like glisten and be like oh my god what did I just bite into like this is so so cool like even for people who are Taiwanese I think there was enough twist on my menu for them to be surprised as well and especially for those who never really had super authentic or like grew up eating Taiwanese food they were like wow this is so exotic you know this is so cool and everyone had a great night we were just at the end of the service we were going to table to table drinking with them and thanking them for coming and it was really nice just meeting everyone um and I think by the end my anxiety like really faded away and realized that hey this is really something I can pull off and it's it's not just all in my head like I can actually cook for people so it was it was super fun um lots of emotions though so yeah there was something you brought up that really resonated with me where you said 
yeah, we grew up in Taipei for a really long time, but then you you don't really know how I guess far removed you are from really understand what you're eating in Taiwan and until you actually leave Taiwan. And like yeah, everything is so accessible. Food is just so accessible in Taiwan. You could have like two people could have a dinner for less than five dollars, and um, and everything yeah, you everything is literally just like an Uber Eats food panda click away. Um, and I think coming to college when you're not eating Taiwanese food all the time, that you realize that in a way you're really foreign to Taiwanese food because you've always been a consumer of that type of food, but you've never really been a creator of that food. So when I when I came to college and and I was like starting to cook for myself, I realized that I, none of the stuff I was making was Taiwanese food, and it was just like, yeah, I'll boil some noodles. Um, or I'll eat oatmeal or eat toast. Like none of that is, you know, Taiwanese food. I think it, it's taken me recently where I've noticed myself being more observant at what Taiwanese dishes my mom is making because I feel like, oh my gosh, this is our prime. Like COVID has given us the opportunity for a lot of us to hang out with our parents, and now this is a time to see what they've made making. So that I don't want to grow up, and maybe if I'm cooking for my family in the future, that I'm still making like toast and oatmeal for my kids like i want them to eat taiwanese food you know and so last year during lockdown when i was still when i was with my two roommates i made a rogu cha for the first time and i'd never made it and i was oh i was like ah, this could go south <laughs> this could go wrong you know i mean it tasted pretty good i think i i did overboil the bok choy a little too long but um yeah just like these mini steps like these where and i guess in a way the saloon 301 is really not just exploring new types of cuisines and, dif and different types of cultural cuisines, but also being more in touch with your with your Taiwanese self as well, which I think is really sweet. And also with a twist as well, because, you know, you don't really have boba tiramisu here, um, yeah. which is such a cool dish. Um, yeah. And I, I wanted to know more about how, so how the agenda for the night goes. So, so people come in at like 7 p.m. and... Do you, like, how does it work? Do you announce the dishes? Like, how, how does it go? So usually the flow is like, people will come in and we will bring them to their tables. And we usually have four to five tables. Like, I, I'm pretty impressed that I was able to transform my little apartment into like a big enough space to host at least 15 people comfortably. And then we usually um, start with like a welcoming drink. So that's that's where you see the Prosecco. And we get them a little buzzed. Everyone's like a little bubbly and happy. And then we start with the appetizers. And we're trying to find a nice balance between casual and also like slightly fine dining. I would never say saloon is like fully fine dining. But per table, we will serve at the same time. And then this is where Andrew, Jess, and I will go to each table and introduce the dish. Like for example, for the boba tiramisu, the introduction was... Hi, this is our boba tiramisu, and we've layered with mascarpone with Earl Grey, and we topped it with salted bourbon whip to kind of cut the sugar and to balance it out, right? Like, we try to walk our customers, our friends, um, through the recipe very, very briefly. It's nothing too fancy. Like, we're not standing there for three minutes and, like, explaining every single thing, but we definitely want them to be conscious of what they're eating and like appreciate the the process of making it and the thought and then like again then the intention of like why we're even serving these dishes and to kind of go back to what you were saying earlier too like how just like it felt 
like a disconnect, even though we were direct consumers of like Taiwanese food, but we never like fully created them. I think I really resonate with that because like growing up, my my grandma and my mom were terrific cooks. Like every they like they would make zongzi. They would always like bao shui jiao. They would make all these like really really delicious food, and to this day, I like don't know how to make zongzi, and I. I wrap terrible dumplings, and I always joked with my mom. I was always like, "Wow, like, what am I gonna do without you? Like, I think I'm gonna end up being like a mom who doesn't know how to make any of these things because I think inherently Asian food is very, very hard to make. Like, there's so many steps to it, and I found that like, especially in Taiwan, I was making a bunch of like Eurocentric Americanized food, like pasta. Like, I was making burgers. I was making things that I couldn't really get my hands on." Especially, I feel like in Taiwan as well, there's this kind of like weird standard of like local Taiwanese food is very, very cheap, and so people always strive for fancier, like Westernized foreign food. And I think that might have like played a role in terms of like the first dishes I made were not Asian, you know. But it doesn't mean that I don't love Asian food. And it wasn't until coming to college, like I'm constantly eating Westernized food. And have great access to like pizza, burgers, you name it.、Um, did I really go like, man? I really miss like great Asian food, and I don't want to drive forty minutes to an hour every time. I want to go eat like a really good bowl of like pork belly rice. So that was kind of the intent of like bringing hard to get food and just like bringing very authentic and well prepared food to close to USC. So. Students or even anyone can come and try, and bring their friends and just like enjoy the night without feeling like oh like it's so busy I can't I can't talk to my friends or like oh I really like we have to go soon because there's a time limit. What other types of themed menus are you thinking of having right now? So we actually have、um, two more dinners upcoming this week, and it's our midsummer nights dinner. Um, so midsummer was actually June twenty fourth, and just because it's recently getting super hot in LA and the sunsets are super beautiful, I was thinking I really want like a very summer floral kind of like dinner. This is more so inspiration from when I was in Vancouver, where every summer we would have these like really really lovely dinners.、Um, like in our backyard, we had like patio furniture, and we would just invite friends over and have like. This really calming dinner with like chatter and like trees and birds, nature.、Um, I always love the summertime in Vancouver, but this time we're serving like our appetizer is a blackberry brie galette.、Um, so it's kind of sweet and savory.、Um, it's definitely this menu is more like Eurocentric American, like French New American kind of menu, and then. We're doing like a lemon rosemary chicken, so we're using lots and lots of herbs and like lots of, you know, tangy sweet like oranges, um, lemons, limes, and we're also doing this Irish mashed potato. So I I really love potato dishes, like mashed potatoes, amazing. But I think sometimes in the summer it could just like feel really heavy, and so this Irish mashed potato. Basically, adds in a bunch of spring summer greens into the potatoes, and you like whip it with. So it like is very very light, and it feels really good to eat with your lemon chicken. 
So we're doing also this like roasted asparagus with a little, a little bit of lemon juice and Parmesan. And then for, for dessert, we're doing like a Chantilly cake um, with a spin on it too. Like Chantilly cake, actually, I know it sounds really French and like fancy, but it's actually from the South. And it's this like fresh berry um, whipped cream white sponge cake. And I really love mascarpone. I think it's a great ingredient to use. And so we're going to add in mascarpone and whip it with the, um, with the cream to make the frosting and like the icing for the cake. And I made it for my friend's birthday. It was such a hit. Um, not to tune my own horn. It's like one of the best cakes I've had. Ooh, Wendy. So I hope when I move to LA, uh, hopefully by <laughs> early to mid August that <laughs> I can finally try these dishes that we're talking about. I'll talk, but yeah. all these dishes sound amazing. Um, do you see it turning the turning from passion project to full fledged business? Because I think a lot of people in the pandemic, we're seeing this pattern of people turning their side hobbies into their full time thing. For example, like a crochet business that started on Instagram or YouTube channels just blowing up <laughs> in a few months. The, this podcast? <laughs> my body wow but you know side businesses could turn into a full-fledged business what do you think do you see this maybe full-time or what other creative career aspirations do you have I mean it definitely I think anyone creates anything um with the intention that it'd be really nice if it blows up um, but if it doesn't, it's totally okay too, because I really think I'm having so much fun already. And I've learned so much within this one month, you know, like cooking all of these different things, um, potentially though, in the future, I think my goal, like whenever someone asks me like what I want to do when I'm like 35, 40, the vision is always like, oh, I want to have this little restaurant or I want to have this little coffee shop or a little like speakeasy bar, some sort of some like something within food that I want to own and like be able to run. And I just realized that I was working towards like I was working against that, like everything that I've been doing has nothing to do with food. Like I'm a business major. I'm about to get my grad degree in communications and like I've worked in fashion. I've worked in corporate none of it is related to food right and i think a lot of the times like we do this right um we pursue things that are interesting but sometimes it's not exactly what we want to do we pursue things because it's prestigious because it's safe because it's what's expected of us and there's no there's no fault in doing that too but i think the pandemic was one thing that really woke everyone up and made everyone realize like hey i really need to be doing something that I love or else I'm going to be miserable, especially at such a, you know, hard time. And so if it becomes a big thing one day, that'd be awesome. Um, but at the moment, I, I think I definitely want to maintain that exclusivity and that intimate space because I think the beauty about having a small restaurant is that people will always come back because they feel really special and they feel heard and they feel like this is a space that they belong in and they are honored. And large restaurants are also like really, really amazing. Um, but if this ever were to go larger, I at least for Saloon, I'd want something that's almost like a speakeasy. Like, you know how Taiwan does some speakeasies super well? It feels super exclusive. Yes. But 
you scale it and it's amazing and so i think i would definitely have to like find a sweet spot where it's still quiet it's still a perfect space for people to like hang out um but it's bigger so <laughs> maybe hopefully well any new ideas do you wish to implement as you go forth if i don't know if there's gonna be like <laughs> live music a comedy club you're gonna send out rsvp <laughs> cards or what are the new ideas do you have other than you know new ideas on the menu but for your business in general so i definitely think like we mentioned a little bit before i'm definitely trying to transition saloon into like membership-based dinner club um just because like it really ensures that people can come here and have a good time um and like you know it feels special to them and we're still allowing like you know members to bring in non-members so they can bring in their friends and like they there's this referral program so people like can join it's it's not exclusive in the way that it's like snobby and we're like pretentious and we're just cutting everyone off but more so exclusive in the way that I really want the right people to be here. I want people who care about the food, care about the ambiance, care about people to come here and not just come here because like, oh, it's a new restaurant or like a new pop-up and like, I want to try it. Um, I mean, that's valid too, but like, it's more so like people, the people who are coming are coming for the right reasons. Another vision is like, I think we're really trying to upgrade our space um, once per Perhaps after we move, like in August, we're probably gonna like rethink how we want the space to be structured and just like how much we're given to work with. And we are, so my friend currently, like he's really, really into mixology and we were even potentially thinking about like doing the collaborations where he will mix cocktails and I will cook. And he's also trying to start like a little like underground like usc student bar or even like a usc coffee shop because he's also super good at brewing coffee and potentially to like i recently got into baking cakes so i've been baking a lot of birthday cakes and just like desserts and pies for my friends for their dinner parties and potentially even just like making the same pastries for this coffee shop if it were to happen and just like maybe expanding in ways beyond just dinner. Mm. Well, where can we best follow along your work online? So I, I hope everyone is really interested in learning more about your business, <laughs> which I'm sure they Yeah, are. of course. Um, so we have saloon underscore 301. That's the pop-up restaurant Instagram handle. But you, you can also follow me on my Instagram. It's just Wenny underscore chow. Um, I post sometimes the same things on both accounts. And if you ever want restaurant recommendations, like I'm, I'm all, always like posting about food on my stories. Um, I can vouch for that. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and if you ever just want to come hang out, like if you're ever in LA and want to hang out or want to chat, like I'm so excited to meet you people. Like I, I just love making friends and talking to people. So yeah, these are all ways to follow blended before we end i always do rapid fire questions with my guests <laughs> so oh, i have okay. I, I, people yeah this is when people are like Ooh, okay they're not i i say that they're rapid but my most of my guests have given quite some thought for these answers so you know let, okay let's try our best it's just 10 questions they'll go by super quick if you want them to okay sure number one build your own salad 
To be honest, I know a lot of people like really hate salad, but I think when a salad has like all elements, it's like the most delicious thing ever. And I'd, I'd sample my salads from Sweet Greens. Honestly, they build terrific salads. And I love that spicy pesto chicken salad. I also love their Hollywood bowl. And like, I think the component is like, you want your greens. You also want a little bit of grains, some textured food, like Parmesan crisps or even like nuts or, you know, like something that gives, or like croutons that gives like a crunch. And you also want like ample protein and different like vegetable sides. So you want like cherry tomatoes and like sometimes you want squash. Other times you want avocado, something creamy too. And a really, really great sauce. So I'm very spontaneous. My palate changes every day, but I'd say I want to do the pesto chicken salad from Sweet Greens. Mm, anything pesto yes i want i want that as my dressing too that's what people usually say about oatmeal too they're like oatmeal is disgusting i was like well you don't know how to make oatmeal <laughs> that's how i say it but <laughs> yeah I agree. For, for salads like yes i i just i'm a very crunchy textured person so like anything mm-hmm. with the roasted sweet potatoes the roasted oh eggplant yes. um roasted chickpeas um what else is there like pecans feta cheese i love arugula spinach just yeah, if I were a salad, that'd be that'd be partially. That it. sounds really great. Wonderful, you gave a very like well-rounded, well-thought-out explanation for this first answer. Very culinary, <laughs> amazing, oh, amazing. Okay, <laughs> second question: Name a song that you know all the lyrics to. Oh my god, I'm like blinking. Um, all the lyrics to, I'd say like. That's that's more so like when I was jamming to music and like actively remembering lyrics, I'd say like middle school. So like I'd say like Love Story by Taylor Swift. I know it's so basic and I don't, I don't listen to it too much, but like every single lyric would be that because we always sing that. But I recently really, really, really love Sasha Sloan and I love her music. I, I can sing most of her music. So I'd say like the cooler answer would be Sasha Sloan, but I don't know every single word. So. <laughs> gotcha. Number three, describe your dream house aesthetic. That's a hard one because I feel like on my Pinterest, I use Pinterest, by the way, like I love mood boards, but on my Pinterest, I have like some things that go from super, super modern to some things that are super just like romantic and like more like homey. Um, But I definitely think I want my dream home to be very bright and to have a wonderful kitchen. Like I want a really big island and my, my dream refrigerator (laughs) is those like, large refrigerators with um glass panels and like you can see through everything right like you can see all your drinks your produce like every delicious oh, thing these you, exist like, having... wow yeah oh. i've seen them in hotels and they look so beautiful like they're they're out of this world um but the caveat of having those is that you would have to have like an actual like real refrigerator or like maybe like a hidden refrigerator because the glass ones you have to like keep everything super super organized and it's more so like on display and then the real refrigerator is where you put like all the messy things in so yeah i think kim kardashian has like apparently a really great refrigerator so maybe like switch your your kitchen up (laughs) yeah i 
on, I don't use Pinterest, but I just bookmark a lot of things on Instagram. I think I follow a lot of Danish designers and influencers. Their houses mm-hmm. and apartments always look so cozy and like minimal. And yeah. I'm definitely, I'm more interested in like round furniture, just not right. sharp edged furniture. There's something very like soothing about them. Um, I totally yeah. Agree. And definitely just like plants too. Yeah, like everyone, like every other millennial Gen Z person. But for my dream house, I would love to have like a little backyard where I could grow my own plants. Like I could grow like basil, tomatoes, eggplant, peppers, like have my own avocado tree. I don't want to have like a lawn because that wastes a lot of water. So I think having like a little backyard, a little garden backyard would be super cute. (laughs) Just thought. Yeah. It's it's lovely. I remember my home in Vancouver. We had this huge backyard and we planted like tomatoes, cucumbers, cabbage, lettuce, like all sorts of like produce. And every time we needed something like to make my own salad, I would go go out there, pick pick a lettuce and just like literally freshly chop it and like add in the tomato that we were growing too. So mm. I definitely think like growing your own vegetables is such a win. And it's it's really rewarding as well. So Oh wow! I I support so, I support your dream house. Yes, I wish it happens. When <laughs> so in my my old house in Shanghai, um, we had a backyard too. And my mom she grew like lavender and then mint and then we had a fig tree at once. But then we we didn't really know how to maintain the fig tree. So there's a certain way to watering and cutting the the, the stems and the leaves. But we weren't doing yeah. it correctly, so none of the figs grew. Only leaves. It just grew into a big tree. We're like where are the figs? And so that didn't work out. I do love figs though. I'm really excited for fig season when I go back to California. But we also, when we were in Shanghai, there was a period of time where we where we owned like, I think two or three chickens because we wanted them to lay eggs. But then none of them, they led maybe, three of them laid a total of maybe like two eggs over the course of like the month or two months that we had them. The rest of the time they were just pooping. <laughs> and we're like, if we sent them back, we don't know. I mean, they're probably dead by now, but we, we sent them back. <laughs> I feel like it'd be really nice to be able to like walk out and grab your own eggs. Mm-hmm. I saw that um, Meghan Markle and like her husband, they, they currently moved to Santa Barbara and I saw their little like chicken coo and like the eggs looked really lovely. So yeah, that's definitely something that would be nice to have. You're like making me rethink my, my dream home. So <laughs> <laughs> um, number four. If you could be the CEO of any existing company, what company would you choose? Oh, that is really, really tough. (laughs) I think I want to be LVMH, like CEO of LVMH, just because I feel like that entire company embodies me so well. So LVMH also focuses on spirits and they also like wine, like moe. Um, and they have a lot of like furniture as well. They're more, they're, they used to be more like a luxury fashion brand. So they do a lot of like, like large fashion houses that you know of, like they basically own it. And then that also branches into cosmetics, right? But then they're also recently branching into more like culinary, like in terms of like wine and really, really great spirits. And I wouldn't be surprised. Well, like if I were CEO, I totally invest in like really great hospitality spots and hotels and like, open up really awesome restaurants so i think that would be like the perfect way to do everything that i want to do um yeah that that's actually a really interesting question (laughs) number five cake or pie Mm. 
Neither. <laughs> Neither? Are you um, a savory person? I'm a savory person, but also... Well, I think recently I've changed. I've always said that cake smells better than it tastes. But I've also, like... Unless it's, like, a really, really amazing cake. But I feel like the majority, like... I've always, like, had cake and I was just like, oh, okay. It's, like, skippable. But also because I, I like savory food better. Um... Yeah, I recently really like cake because, like, I've recently gone into, like, cake baking and all of that. And I really like to decorate cakes. I think they're so fun. But I'd say pie because I like, like, meat pies, like, chicken pot pie and, like, mm-hmm. Australian, like, or even, like, British, like, minced meat pies. Like, they're so good. Um, and I really, really like banana cream pie. So, mm. pies. I would say pie, too, because it also has savory it has both savory and sweet and i'm like i said for the salad question more of a say uh, a textured person i like pie mm-hmm. crust i really like pie crust because i like it's crunchy yeah. so. and technically pizza could be pie mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. that's true yeah, yeah. I think that's a good answer <laughs> um number six so it's more like tapping into your fashion sense because you're very multifaceted we all know this <laughs> what specific character outfit from a movie or TV show, do you want in your wardrobe? Oh, this is so hard. I have like so many fashion icons, but recently Corella just came out. I'm not sure if you saw it in the theaters. I haven't yet. seen it. Yet. <laughs> uh, yeah, and I, I just watched it the other day, and honestly, the fashion like blew me away. And I, I wouldn't say it's like something. I don't. I wouldn't say like these are fashion pieces that I would necessarily wear myself but I was just so impressed by every single outfit and it was mesmerizing to watch and I highly recommend you watch but I think currently it's just been like sleeping like it's it's been in my mind like I sleep and I think about it I dream about it <laughs> so at the moment I'd say Corella's um closet would definitely be like love to get my hands on Ooh. I thought about this question too, and I don't think it's something I would wear now, but it's a wardrobe that I really appreciate. I do love the modern adaptation of Emma, the one that Anya Taylor-Joy was in that came out in 2020. And I think just period, the period pieces and also how that movie was shot. It's like very candy-eyed minimalism and all her dresses are so pretty. And so I I love, and I I love her as an actress too. She's just, she looks good in anything. (laughs) And um, yeah. Yeah, all those dresses were amazing. I think another um, really great show that just came out like during pandemic and has amazing fashion is Bridgerton. Oh, yes, Bridgerton. yes, yes, yes. <laughs> I don't know if you watched it. Like, I, I look at that. I I binged watched the entire season within two two days. And like, mm. I like every single time a new dress would come out and I would like gasp. I'm like, oh, like, I would never wear that today, right? I would never wear this. Um, like the Bridgerton's outfits like today, but they were also beautiful and so lovely. So yeah, yeah. I agree. It's and if you think about it, a lot of the dresses mm-hmm. I forgot what the main character was because I watched it a while ago. But her dresses yeah. are are not like super super fancy, but they're all like delicately made. And then the chest area is really short, but that just looks yeah. so chic. It looks really adorable. I, so I did some a little bit of research, and like honestly, I'm could be very wrong because I only read about this like for 10 minutes but apparently like the regency era I think mm-hmm. where it's set in or like some some era where the the show is set in apparently it's right before the Victorian era and like we know Victorian was like very like poofy mm-hmm. grand 
dresses like extremely extremely like big and I, I I think it's the Regency era but like anyways like the style of the dresses then were like short and they were very slim compared to like what we know of as like old European like female dresses um obviously corsets were, were like a huge part of it but I just thought like the the like super lengthy body like short chest kind of like design was it was so chic like like I agree it made you look so long and just like so mm-hmm. elegant and slender so yeah yeah and the main actress she was she's like a short actor she's as so well. beautiful but she's yeah. I mean yes she's gorgeous <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah can you guys all tell that Wenny was also a Vera Wang fashion intern. <laughs> she was also an LA Fashion Week production assistant as well. Oh, so you stalked my... <laughs> yes, I looked at your website. It looks great. It looks great. So anyone who wants to look at Wenny's website, just go to wennychow.com. She got that domain herself. Awesome. Awesome. <laughs> Thank you for the shout out. I appreciate it. <laughs> um, what question are we on? Right. Oh, number seven. What is something that a ton of people are obsessed with, but you just don't get the point of? I think there's a lot of things, especially in fashion. Yes, mine is in so, fashion too, but you go first. So I know that like, I work in fashion and like obviously fashion has like great aspects of it, but there's also terrible aspects of it. And I've wrote, I've written so many papers about how fast fashion and like just this idea of constantly having chasing and having trends um is really really harmful and like a lot of the times I look at trends right like especially since the fast fashion timeline is a little bit of a research knowledge vomit here but fast fashion timeline is is like really set by like brands like H&M, Zara, Forever 21 and they have a 52 week like kind of trend so basically it's like one whole collection every week and you could very much buy something this week and then by next week it's like off the shelves and it's considered like like off season already and a lot of the times because they're constantly pumping out all of these different trends for you to consume and buy more I think like there's just absurd things that like like I remember a while back there was like KFC Crocs high heels and like, it was super hype, and I was like, why? Like, why would you spend, like, so much money on that? Or even just, like, some of the things that I see um, within fast fashion and is promoted, like, the trends are just kind of weird. And obviously, just, like, there for the moment, um, it's definitely a fad. So oftentimes, if you look at what um, Forever 21 selling, I think you'd be like, you know, give it a moment to soak it in. Yeah. Mine is also a little bit fashion related. Um, people might <laughs> come at me with this answer, but I think something that I don't really get is those um, hand glazed enameled rings that a lot of people put on their fingers and they'll put on like eight rings on their hands. And for me, I, I'm i not like a jewelry person, so that's probably why I'm, I just don't get the mm-hmm. point of this trend. But many times... I think when people put on like a ton of rings and they like put on gel extension nails, I'm like, how do you do work? <laughs> I don't know. That's just where I'm coming from, from a more utilitarian standpoint. And, and I feel like I'm more of a minimalist. So when people put a lot on their hands, I'm just like, oh, that's a lot. <laughs> I don't know why. Mm-hmm. But I mean, that's something that a lot of people like aesthetically, especially a lot of the Y2K, you know, fashion influencers yeah. right now. Um, but for me, I'm just like, 
how do I type and how do I go to the gym? And it's it's a little difficult. I definitely agree with you. I definitely agree with you on that. I feel like the whole like Y2K throwback is also something that I kind of like, but also like I'm just like kind of like always like taken aback because you know those like beaded bracelets and like beaded necklace or even like beaded belts um that's really popular right now. Yeah, or even on swimsuits you know, now too. That's crazy. Yeah, they're going for crazy prices. Like a mm-hmm. tiny bracelet is like they can sell for like $60, $70. And like you understand that the beads probably like that the cost of the beads is probably like 50 cents. Mm-hmm. Like, and I'm being super generous, right? Like, and it's just like I remember beating my own bracelets when I was younger because I didn't have the money mm-hmm. to buy like actual jewelry. Um, and the fact that people are dropping so much money on it, like I think they're really cute. I'm not saying they're not cute, but just like the pe- the fact that people drop so much on these kind of, I'm just kind of like wow, like you must be <laughs> like you must be really into this, you know? Like mm-hmm. it's kind of mm-hmm. crazy. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um. Okay, that was a good, that was a good productive conversation for number seven. Number eight, name one thing on your bucket list that you haven't done yet. I really want to travel to Africa. So like any, I've heard like amazing countries to go to in Africa. And every time my friends come back from Africa, they're always like, this is life changing. You have to go. And I feel like Africa is that one continent that's, like, that's not as hyped up. You know, like, I know, like, we think of Europe and everyone's always, like, my dream is to go to Europe or, like, I want to go to Americas. And obviously, I definitely think, like, that's that's glorified. Um, And, like, I'm not saying, like, France, Italy, Switzerland aren't beautiful. Like, I, I love those places as well but I but I feel like Africa is just that one continent that people don't talk about enough and give credit for because I heard the the wildlife there is so beautiful and there's so much culture to explore so I really want to go yeah Mm. number nine since you are in LA do you have a bad uber story I feel like everyone has bad Uber stories, especially if you're like in large cities and you're a woman. Um, I feel like I'm just constantly always like super paranoid because like there's just all sorts of weird and like I'm, I guess like don't please don't come for me. I understand that a lot of the drivers are very hardworking people and they're driving as like a side gig. But sometimes there's just like really creepy men who will keep trying to talk to you, will try to like, like, oh, I don't know, like just like all sorts of tricks and tactics to like get to like keep you in their car for a little longer. Like if I've had people who like went off the map, they, they didn't take me anywhere. They just like purposely like drove like the opposite way and then eventually like circled back. I don't know if they were confused or I don't know and I've also had people like I was wearing a dress one day and it wasn't even like short it was like mid thigh like to my knee closer to my knee and that uber driver would like look back and stare at my legs like every opportunity he had even when he was driving um and I was just like sir please keep your eyes on the road like I am worried for us um so yeah I think the general gist of this is just take care of yourself and you know always be vigilant and 
you know, like text your friend if you're ever on an Uber because you never know what's going to happen, especially like you got to protect yourself as as a woman. So Mm -hmm. do you have your own car now or still TB, TBD? TBD because I I don't really I never got the chance to drive that much and I I don't feel really safe driving um in LA Mm, okay so maybe yeah in the future but definitely necessary yeah it's it's getting really hard because I need to go to a bunch of places and even for saloon you know like we're running to like three different grocery shops and I always have to get my friends to drive me so you know definitely need to work on that Mm final question number 10 and this is what i ask all my guests describe your ideal happy hour drink doesn't have to be alcoholic anything that you wish i'd say my perfect happy hour drink um is this very very specific drink and it's actually in taipei so once quarantine ends for you guys you can like go try it but it's called the isfahan and it's actually a flavor if i'm not mistaken so it's a blend of rose raspberry and lychee so you find the isfahan in cakes and macarons in like drinks and like whatever and like for me it it's like it's it's a cocktail like it's almost like a dessert cocktail and at alchemy um which is the bar in taiwan it's it's downtown um, I'm sure you can get to. They do it in such a way that's so beautiful. Like the rose is so fragrant and it's such a creamy drink. And the, the lychee and the um, raspberry just like work so well. Like they're, they're best friends, you know, like they're meant to be together. And then they drizzle this hazelnut oil on top. Um, and it just like, it's so delicious. It's like, I dream about it. I'm always going to different bars and like it's a similar flavor uh, flavor profile that people will like do and do their own interpretations of but i think the best one i've had is at alchemy Mm. so please please get it sometimes and let me know how you think what you think hopefully the next time we have a conversation we will have a proper happy hour conversation in person And I'll be vaccinated by then. And there's still a lot to catch up. And I really hope that this business that Saloon 301 continues to thrive. It just sounds such, it just sounds like such a cool concept. And I hope more people can hear about this and more people can attend. So I wish you the best of luck with your business. And thank you again for wanting to speak to me today. No, yeah. Thank you so much for having me. I had so much fun. I can't believe like an hour and a half is up. But please let me know if you're in LA. Like I'm so excited to take you out to all of my favorite spots and like dine with you. And maybe one day I can invite you over and I can cook for you too. So thank you so much, Melissa. Thank you for listening to this episode of Happy Hour. If you like this episode, be sure to share this podcast and give us a follow on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your pods. And leave us a review. It only takes a minute. For more Happy Hour exclusive information, follow us on Instagram at happyhourpod. That's H-A-A-P-I-H-O-U-R-P-O-D. If you have potential guests you want featured on this show, send us an email at happyhourpodcast at gmail.com. H-A-A-P-I-H-O-U-R-P-O-D-C-A-S-T at gmail.com. I'm Melissa Cho. Thank you for spending happy hour with me and my guests today. And I'll see you for another round very soon.